nor were its internal arrangements less exemplary than its outside was ornamental. Report said that Mrs. Pontifex starched the sheets of her best bed, and I can well believe it. How well do I remember her parlour, half filled with the organ which her husband had built, and scented with a withered apple or two from the pyrus japonica that grew outside the house. The picture of the prize ox over the chimney-piece, which Mr. Pontifex himself had painted, the transparency of the man coming to show light to a coach upon a snowy night, also by Mr. Pontifex, the little old man and little old woman who told the weather, the china shepherd and shepherdess, the jars of feathery flowering grasses, with a peacock's feather or two among them to set them off, and the china bowls full of dead rose leaves dried with bay salt. All has long since vanished and become a memory, faded but still fragrant to myself. Nay, but her kitchen, and the glimpses into a cavernous cellar beyond it, wherefrom came gleams from the pale surfaces of milk cans, or it may be of the arms and face of a milkmaid skimming the cream, or again her storeroom, where among other treasures she kept the famous lip salve, which was one of her especial glories, and of which she would present a shape yearly to those whom she delighted to honour. She wrote out the recipe for this, and gave it to my mother a year or two before she died, but we could never make it as she did. When we were children, she used sometimes to send her respects to my mother, and ask leave for us to come and take tea with her. Right well she used to play us. As for her temper, we never met such a delightful old lady in our lives. Whatever Mr. Pontifex may have had to put up with, we had no cause for complaint, and then Mr. Pontifex would play to us upon the organ, and we would stand around him open-mouthed and think him the most wonderfully clever man that ever was born, except, of course, our papa. Mrs. Pontifex had no sense of humour. At least I can call to mind no signs of this, but her husband had plenty of fun in him, though few would have guessed it from his appearance. I remember my father once sent me down to his workshop to get some glue, and I happened to come when old Pontifex was in the act of scolding his boy. He had got the lad— a pudding-headed fellow, by the ear, and was saying, "'What? Lost again, smothered of wit?' I believe it was the boy who was himself supposed to be a wandering soul, and who was thus addressed as lost. "'Now look here, my lad,' he continued. "'Some boys are born stupid, and thou art one of them. Some achieve stupidity. That's thee again. Jim, thou wast both born stupid, and hast greatly increased thy birthright.' and some. And here came a climax during which the boy's head and ear were swayed from side to side. Have stupidity thrust upon them, which, if it please the Lord, shall not be thy case, my lad, for I will thrust stupidity from thee, though I have to box thine ears in doing so. But I did not see that the old man really did box Jim's ears, or do more than pretend to frighten him, for the two understood one another perfectly well. Another time I remember hearing him call the village rat-catcher by saying, "'Come hither, thou three days and three nights thou,' alluding, as I afterwards learned, to the rat-catcher's periods of intoxication. But I will tell no more of such trifles. My father's face would always brighten when old Pontifex's name was mentioned. "'I tell you, Edward,' he would say to me, "'old Pontifex was not only an able man, but he was one of the very ablest men that I ever knew.' This was more than I as a young man was prepared to stand. "'My dear father,' I answered, 
What did he do? He could draw a little, but could he to save his life have got a picture into the Royal Academy exhibition? He built two organs, and could play the minuet in Samson on one, and the march in Scipio on the other. He was a good carpenter, and a bit of a wag. He was a good old fellow enough, but why make him out so much abler than he was? My boy, returned my father, you must not judge by the work, but by the work in connection with the surroundings. Could Giotto, or Filippo Lippi, think you, have got a picture into the exhibition? Would a single one of those frescoes we went to see when we were at Padua have the remotest chance of being hung, if it was sent in for exhibition now? Why, the Academy people will be so outraged that they would not even write to poor Giotto to tell him to come and take his fresco away. Phew! he continued, waxing warm. If old